if someone comes in and has 25 different accounts all over the place and they want investment analysis and advice as part of their financial planning engagement, it all adds complexity and that just adds time. I'm Ian Harvey from New York City, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. In this episode, Matt discusses hourly planning with Kara Beth Vance, a CFP and a senior advisor at Timothy Financial Council in Wheaton, Illinois. Kara Beth shares the ins and outs of the hourly financial planning model and how it works within her firm. Up next, Matt and Kara explore the example set by Timothy Financial Council, showing how planners can charge clients for exactly what they want, and how advisors like Kara Beth and her team make it easy for clients to understand what they are paying for. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Kara. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with a little bit more about you, Kara. How long have you been in the profession and what inspired you to become a financial planner? I started in financial planning in 2010. And honestly, I didn't know much about financial planning when I got into it. Um, I had moved back to the Chicagoland area. I was looking for what would be my first real job after college. And um, I interviewed with a, with a firm that I wasn't even sure exactly what they did at the time. Um, but it, it turned out to be a really um, fortunate uh, connection. Um, I did move forward with, with a firm, uh, an assets under management fee-only financial planning firm in 2010. And I was there about five and a half years. And a wonderful experience where I learned a lot about both personal finance, personal financial planning, um, being a just growing in knowledge of being a professional. Um, I had great mentors there and uh, learned about serving clients. So I started actually as a financial administrator um, and then started serving clients over the course of my five and a half years there. Very cool. And where are you currently working? I am currently at an hourly financial planning firm. Uh, located in Wheaton, Illinois, and it's called Timothy Financial Council. Before we dive into talking about hourly financial planning, I think that's a great topic for for this overall fee discussion that we've been having over the past month. But can you give us a little more background about what exactly Timothy does, what type of clients you serve, and a little bit more about that hourly fee model? Timothy Financial serves clients who are, I, I would say this, they're not necessarily high-level delegators from an investment perspective. Um, when I'm thinking about this industry and when I was working in within an asset center management um, compensation model, um, I was basically working with the mass affluent. So we had an asset minimum, which is on the low side in some cases, but of a, a half million dollars. And um, we were charging you know, in the ballpark of 1% of asset center management and there's a lot of people um, who can't be served in that sort of a model. Um, our our goal at Timothy Financial is to serve the unserved and the underserved. And when Mark Berg, who founded the firm um, about 18 years ago, when he decided that he was going to go out on his own, and he was also with an asset center management firm, um, to start this sort of business, it was because he saw all these people who really needed solid, objective, fee-only financial advice and could not get it in other 
options that were out there. Um, so those people, they might um, actually have a, a number of assets saved. They might even have more than a half million or a million dollars in assets saved, but perhaps they are in a employer retirement plan that can't be managed by um, an, you know, an asset management firm. And so they would not really qualify um, for those sorts of services. Um, or maybe they actually are really high net worth, but um, are have a very illiquid balance sheet, uh, lots of businesses or real estate. Um, and there's just a lot of people out there who can be, who, who would really benefit from um, holistic financial planning advice, but didn't have a great way to access it before in a fee-only in a fee-only model. Um, so that's that's how we got started as a firm. Um, those clients then, I know your question was, how, what clients do we actually serve? Um, and so those clients, they can be anywhere from, um, you know, the, the couple that are both teachers down the street or have um, pensions through the state or federal government um, or private pensions um, to, again, someone with a really large balance sheet um, who maybe owns a lot of different businesses that are out there. Um, it's, a, it's a wide spectrum in terms of net worth um, because that isn't necessarily uh, relevant to the work that we're providing to the client. Um, but they are clients who are willing to be engaged in the process and to implement things on their own. Um, and, and some of that comes into play with investments specifically. Um, so we do provide investment advice and I don't, we can talk a little bit more about that maybe later on, but um, when we do provide investment advice, we are giving, we're working with clients to help them to develop um, a portfolio that makes sense for their risk tolerance and for their cash flow needs um, at the time. And we do give specific investment recommendations that they should in different accounts go and buy or sell X fund um, in X dollar amount, but we don't actually place the trades for them. You know, we don't rebalance for them. I'm not, we're not connected to our clients' accounts. Um, so on the investment side in particular, the clients have to be engaged in that process and either um, willing to implement those things themselves or get our coaching on how to implement them or seek some um, some help from their low-cost brokerage platform to um, implement those things. Um, or there are cases too where we might be, they might be using us to help them even find um, an asset manager for certain parts of their portfolio. Um, so that's something that we do on that side too. But um, a person who wants someone who's going to do all of the action steps for them would not necessarily be a good fit for us um, and would not actually be a good fit for us. Um, but people who are engaged in the financial planning process, um, willing to take the steps themselves. I talked about investments, but it could be in other things too, you know, seeking out life insurance. We would provide them advice on um, what fits well with their situation and, and, you know, what kind of products would, would actually meet their needs um, and even connect them with resources to pursue that. Um, but at the end of the day, our clients do go out and take the action steps themselves. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense with the fact that you're billing by the hour. 
I assume that you design it to be more they're implementing these things to keep their fee lower, correct? Right. That's part of it for sure. Um, and it's just that they know exactly what they're paying for. And, and from us, what they're paying for is that holistic advice or advice in the areas that we have talked about in the scope of our engagement. And it's always the client's decision then what they do with that advice. Um, and just to contrast with my, my previous experience in an asset center management model, um, I have found that because clients are very aware of what they're paying for um, in terms of paying us for our time and holistic advice, uh, that they seem more engaged and are, in, at least anecdotally, seem more ready to take action on the advice um, because they valued it enough to lay out, you know, potentially thousands of dollars on the front end for the financial planning, for the initial financial planning engagement. Um, and they really want to stay on track and have someone help them do that. It always helps to have clients, you know, have them have skin in the game to get them to take action on those steps, however they choose. So when you're talking about, you know, thousands of dollars, what exactly is the hourly rate that Timothy charges for financial planning? So our firm's standard hourly rate today is $280 an hour. Um, but that is for what we call our complexity levels one through four. Um, we have five levels of complexity and level five clients are um, a lot more intricate and take a lot more time. Um, and the hourly rate is higher at $400 an hour. And Mark Berg, the founder, is the primary advisor for most of those clients. Um, so those are the two, the two different rates. Um, but how that ends up playing out in how we actually work with clients um, is that our initial financial planning engagement looks a lot like like probably other firms that are going through this process, um, most of our clients are looking for some sort of holistic financial plan. Now, it, you know, either in um, a comprehensive way where we end up covering both, you know, retirement and cash flow, investments, insurance, estate planning, um, or some subset of that and a, a little bit more narrowed scope on the front end. But when we go through that process, we gather a lot of data from the clients on the on the front end, from the prospective client, um, and then we sit down with them. And in our initial complimentary meeting with them, um, we get more information about their their goals and um, who they are, and also get a little bit more information about the data that we've collected. And at the end of that meeting, we provide a firm quote to prospective clients for what it would cost to move forward with us with this initial financial planning engagement. Um, and I mentioned kind of levels one through four. So on our website, on our fees page, it's laid out very clearly this range of costs for these different levels of complexity. And when a prospective client initially calls in, just um, is investigating uh, our firm, maybe they maybe they referred to us or they, they ran across our website. Um, we can even in a pretty brief phone call give them an idea of that range of cost to move forward with us on the front end and um, most people end up fitting into a level two or level three complexity level but um, that we have people across all complexity levels 
Um, and those costs, just to give you an idea, so level three is from 15 to 30 hours. So we're talking about starting at $4,200 or so, um, up to $8,400 for that initial plan cost. Um, but that's that's just one level. There's, again, four different of our standard levels of complexity. Um, but that's all based on how much time we actually expect it to take to build an initial plan for that client. It's very dependent on their situation. Um, it's also dependent on how many areas of advice we're going to get into. Um, not every client that comes in is looking for advice in estate planning, for example. Um, so we might not get into that area of advice in the initial engagement. Um, but we quote the client, like I said, and then they decide whether or not to move forward with us at the cost that we have provided to them. Um, that's a, it's a firm quote. So, you know, if we go over that time, then they know exactly what they're paying for. Um, and then when we work with clients on an ongoing basis, and I'll, I'm going to come back to that because I think that is something that many people find an unusual or they didn't expect to be true of an hourly financial planning firm is that we have most of our revenue actually comes from ongoing client work. But when people do come back for an update annually or semi-annually or whatever schedule we determine together, they're going to be paying only for the time that we're actually using. So we are we do a firm quote at the beginning, but then we are running a timer um, always um, in our hourly financial planning firm. And we will just bill them for the time we actually spend uh, working with them throughout the year. You were getting into the ranges there. Are there any qualifying or disqualifying factors for fitting into a particular level? How do, how do you even get started with, okay, you're level two, and then from there we go to a range. So what is that initial qualification to land at level two, or just as an example? So we go through a number of just initial get-to-know-you questions on that introductory phone call. Um, some of the things that would, I'll just, uh, maybe I'll start with a level one, because sometimes people will, will call in and um, say, you know, I, I'm very simple. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm a level one. They always are, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Everyone thinks their situation is simple. Um, but uh, I actually had this happen the other day. And the, you know, the person is, is married, they actually have some self employment income, both spouses are working. Um, there were also some, um, like, uh, restricted stock units and, and things that we needed to be working with. That person is not a level one. Um, things that push people. So a level one ends up being most typically um, either a someone who is retired, um, who is already in distribution mode, um, and maybe is single. It, a lot of times level one clients are, are single individuals. Um, they might also be on the, the younger end of life. Um, we can talk a little bit about that we do have a next-gen planning service um, that is, is a little bit different as well. Um, but they might be on the younger end of life and, again, it, either single or married, but just single income. Um, and not a lot of complexity in terms of the accounts or account types they have. Um, probably limited investment advice. Maybe we're looking only at a 401k or something there. Um, and you know something that would just, again, push you out of this level one is if somebody had um, a lot of different permanent insurance policies or probably even one or two um, that's going to start to 
push us already into level two. So when I'm work, when when you're talking to someone on the phone who actually is a level one, um, that person doesn't have much from a complexity standpoint um, that would you know, push them up, push them up the level. So it's a W two employee with simple employee employer provided benefits, um, and they want to do some cash flow planning, or they're coming in. They may. They may still be someone who, if again, probably a single person, but coming up to retirement, but just no other complicating factors. Uh, maybe they're debt free. You know, there's there's just a lot of a lot of things are very straightforward, um, but that maybe they still want to verify their long term retirement projections, um, and we can work with them on that. This is a huge reason of why I'm so fascinated with what you guys are doing at Timothy. So frequently, in my experience as a paraplanner. I see what I like to call service creep, where advisors are giving more value or more time and expertise than they are actually being compensated for. So I love that you're using those levels to you know, just give the client an easy way to understand where they land. Now, when it comes to those ranges, again, we see in some of these levels, you know, $4,000 of difference. What exactly would push someone one way or the other towards those boundaries when they're in like a level three? relationship? We just on our website simplify kind of four different areas of advice, um, starting with our cash flow and retirement planning, which is where we build um, holistic financial planning projections. Um, we use eMoney as our as our um, financial planning program for that. And that's where a lot of the time goes in is actually building um, the, you know, building this cash flow model for the client. Um, so that's that's the first thing is what do they have going into that cash flow model? Um, you know, maybe they have um, rental properties or something, and we need to model a number of different schedules related to that. Or um, they might have more complex employer-provided benefits. Um, you know, we're talking about maybe RSUs and stock options, and or maybe they have deferred compensation. Just the more things that we start with in terms of what we need to model, add time in the picture. Um, so again, it, you know, a small business owner is going to take more time to model their situation than a person who is a W-2 employee at one company um, with a with a fixed salary. Um, so that, that matters. Um, it also matters how many of those areas of advice we get into, which is what I was starting to mention earlier. So the cash flow and retirement council is the first one. The second one is an investment analysis and recommendations. Um, the third is risk management. And the fourth is a state um, planning council and design. So we, um, the more of those areas of advice that this initial financial planning engagement will encompass, that is going to push a person towards the bottom or top of the the range as well. Um, so the yeah, so it's how you know which areas of advice are we actually getting into, and then how many facets are there to their financial situation? Um, I didn't really talk about this, but just investment account wise, if someone comes in and has and they want investment analysis and advice as part of their financial planning engagement, and there are 25 different accounts all over the place um, with a lot, you know, or, or there's uh, some large taxable accounts that we need to do more just 
tax planning in terms of thinking about how we might even recommend changes to the account, that's all going to add, it all adds complexity to what we're doing on the front end, especially, um, and that just adds time. Um, and we have been doing this a long time. I've, I've been with the firm for a little over three years, but Mark and um, Han Tossig is one of the other partners at the firm. You know, they've been doing hourly financial planning the whole time. Um, and we've been quoting clients. We've just had a, many, many years of quoting clients on the front end based on the time it takes us. And um, we can help them to gauge, um, like I said, towards the beginning of that process, at least what the range is. Um, and then it's in that initial I'm going to call it a face-to-face meeting, but or virtual meeting, um, where we actually give that firm quote, and then they are going to get the best understanding of where they actually are in that range. And, and part of that is based on their data, and part of it again is based on them and what they want to include as part of the initial engagement with us. Again, we can have the same clients on paper, but they can be two completely different situations. So, are you factoring in any personal traits of the client, like? This person's going to be really difficult to coordinate with getting data from. Are, are you factoring <laughs> that into that projection? Not necessarily. I <laughs> I want to be careful in how I answer that question. Um, we there's a lot of things that I just know how long that they take, um, and a lot of times in that initial meeting, you actually don't know yet <laughs> whether the client is going to be challenging to get data from or not. Um, but if there was something that indicated that, uh, like there was a lot of, I don't know, challenging back and forths to get the data for this initial meeting with the prospective clients, um, that could be something that might, if within not a really wide range, but within an hour or so, that could impact that. I mean, our goal is really to, uh, for the quote to actually be how much time it takes. <laughs> you know, we do actually want that to be working within the quote. Um, it anytime that we're going over what we quote to clients, we're eating that cost. I mean, that's revenue we're not getting um, for work that we're doing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's we can and we we have, I guess, taken that into consideration. But um, I just, from my experience so far, a lot of times when there are those challenges. I don't know yet when I'm providing the quote. No, that makes a lot of sense. And <laughs> this is more of a question for the audience, but you know, when you're quoting these fees, you give them this firm quote or this range, how are you communicating that to clients? Do you have any best practices or tips for someone who might be looking to implement this into their firm? One thing I really love about this model is that, I, like I had mentioned earlier, I think that the clients know what they're paying for. And so when we are going through this initial process, and I'd especially say that's true once they've come on board and they've actually gone through the process, if you've never been through a financial planning process, um, even with really excellent communication, um, it can be difficult to, to know what it's like until you've actually gone through it yourself. Um, but, but when clients have gone through that process, they, they see the value in the work that we are doing and the advice that we're providing for them. Um, and something that um, I have seen in the industry or, you know, cause you can see on our website, $280 an hour as kind of our, our standard firm rate right now, that's not the cheapest advice that's out there. Um, you can find 
you can find other advisory firms that have lower rates than that. Um, but our close rates for clients are still quite high, um, certainly over 80%. Um, and so when we're, we're in that place, um, we want to, yeah, I mean, we want to make sure we're bringing on clients who um, do understand the value of financial planning advice and and that that's what they want. So I, I think I'm freed by, you know, you're, maybe you might be looking at that number and thinking, wow, $8,000 for an initial financial plan. Um, but I think about it in a couple of ways. Um, for some people, it's actually much cheaper than what they could get elsewhere. Um, so we do serve clients of a, a wide range of net worths, like I said. Um, and if someone were working with an asset center management firm, um, and, and many of these clients that we work with could be, but they actually don't want to have someone who's placed trades for them and is kind of in between them and, and their implementation and, and funds. Um, and so those clients, you know, if you have, well, even if you have a million dollars and we're talking about a 1% asset center management fee, well, that's $10,000 a year. And we're talking about um, starting out with an initial financial planning engagement that's for many people that come in and work with our firm, less than $10,000 in the first year. Um, and then when we're working with clients on an ongoing basis, it's not the same cost every single year. This is the cost to really go through that initial financial planning process. But once people have come on board as clients and we have a good understanding of them as people and of their goals and of their um, all these different facets of their situation, we're able to uh, meet them, you know, meet with them again on an on an annual basis or again, whatever schedule we've come up with. And it's not going to take as much time, just like for anyone. I mean, it, any, it always takes longer to get to know a client and to uh, get kind of do your initial analysis of their situation. Um, so in a future year, it might be more like a fourth to a third of the initial plan cost, um, or they might just call up, uh, you know, mid-year and have a question and want to talk for 12 minutes, and we're going to bill them for that 12 minutes of time. Um, but that's, so for some people, it's actually more cost effective to receive advice in this fashion. Um, you feel it differently because our clients are writing us checks um, or, you know, sending an electronic payment, um, and it's not just coming out of their investment accounts. So it is, it, it definitely has a different feel to it. Um, and that's something that our clients value about working with us or working in an hourly context is that they're only paying us when we're actually doing work for them. Um, you, you know, there other, there's a lot of other ways to do business. Um, but this is the only way I know of in which the clients know that when they're getting billed, we have done work for them. Um, it's, they're, directly related um, on the time that we're spending with them. Um, but in terms of that that cost and value, um, Mark talks about this often, just that um, it's important for us to value the services that we are providing um, to the clients. And it's something that I, I really appreciate about this whole model and um, getting to communicate with clients this way um, is that 
I do know that, you know, if they're, when a client comes in and we're talking through uh, the different ways that we can serve them, I am confident that they are going to receive, you know, if they end up paying $8,000 that they're, we're going to get to the end of that process and they're going to look back and say, man, that was $8,000 well spent um, because they had questions that they couldn't answer on their own um, or they could, didn't have confidence um, that their answers were, were the right, I'm saying the right ones, but more, um, you know, like with the, the big question of, can I retire or when can I retire? That's a huge question. I mean, it's a simple question, but it's a huge question. And um, our clients have been, you know, our clients who are coming up on a retirement transition, especially, they've often been doing so many wonderful things to prepare for that. They've been good savers. They've been good at paying down debt. They've, you know, they're setting themselves up really well, but there's still something about having a professional who's doing this day in and day out, come in with an objective set of eyes and evaluate your situation and be able to um, either validate for you that, yes, you, you know, you're on track or let you know that some changes need to be made to to probably, you know, to actually hit the the goals and do the things that they would want to do to be able to make that retirement transition. Um, and without fail, clients come in and there's, there's typically an opportunity or um, something they haven't thought of yet that would just help to um, better optimize their, their long-term situation. And a lot of times that comes into play with tax planning. Um, Cause as you know, there's just a lot of facets to financial planning, um, putting all these pieces together when you're an individual doing it in your own life. And this is true in my own life. I come up to one decision and then another decision. And I just try to make the best decision that I can, you know, each time, but I'm doing that one at a time and having someone come alongside you, look at, you know, step back and look at the big picture and see how best all of the pieces fit together in light of your goals and plans um, and, and help you to have confidence that, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing or there's some other things that you could be thinking about or doing that would maybe be even better. That is really valuable. Um, and clients who come on board with us, they've made the decision that this is, you know, this is what I want. Sometimes clients will say, or prospective clients will ask, you know, well, you know, are you going to be able to like save me money here and there and, and whatever, like to kind of pay myself back for some of this? And I'll just tell you that sometimes happens. But when I'm talking to prospective clients, I tell them, I cannot promise you that that would be the case. Um, what you're paying for, you know, varies a little bit how I communicate this with them, depending on what they're looking for. But um, what they're paying for is, you know, to get that validation or to answer the big question or the set of questions that they had. Um, and that's, you know, that's what that $8,000 or whatever that initial plan engagement is, that's what that um, cost is, that it's, it's for that. Um, if they didn't want an outside party to do that, you know, they could be pursuing those things themselves. Um, but they don't. They don't want to. That's that. It's that professional to partner with them um, in that that they're looking for. Yeah, of course. And I, I think it's really interesting you brought up tax planning. So I'm just curious with, you know, maybe a client who's already been through the process. How does this model work with, you know, a big tax change like we saw in 2018? Did that create more time for each client 
in that year or how did how was that handled? That's a great question. Um, so I guess one thing that is for people, you know, for people who are coming into the industry and you're thinking about how do these different uh, models work? Well, something about the hourly model is that it's harder to be proactive with clients because they pay me for the time that I spend on them. So a lot of things with with the clients are um, initiated, a lot of engagements with them are initiated by the client. Um, now we have set up just in terms of, I mentioned kind of an annual review process earlier, and we uh, have set it up so that we will, uh, once we've decided on the cadence for when we're meeting with them, just send an, an email asking if they're you know ready to do that, a reminder basically, are we, are we going to move forward with that update? Um, and then once they agree, then we actually start working on, on that for them. Um, but in something that we can't control, you know, and that's one reason why um, having consistent updates is really important, I think, in a financial planning relationship um, is because things do change. Client situations change, but also tax laws change periodically. Um, and that changes, in some cases, the specific advice that we've given to clients. So there are clients that I met with in 2016 that, or, you know, even in 2017, where once we knew what the the changes in the tax law were, you know, the next time we met, we needed to adjust our recommendations, what they were going to be doing that year or the next several years. In terms of when it actually happened um, at the end of 2017, the way that we handled that um, is that we uh, basically prepped kind of a a primer for our clients on on the changes, uh, like many other. Uh, financial advisory firms. And then we did communicate. We sent out a kind of a, an update uh, newsletter email blast to all of our clients, gave them uh, the headlines of those changes, gave them some um, general ideas, and essentially said if they wanted to talk more about it at kind of at the end of 2017, year end, then calling us, you know, then they could call us. Um, but we can't, you know, we can't make our clients come to us for advice. Um, so that is, you know, that is a challenge um, if if clients aren't engaged. Um, but but most of our clients are engaged um, and and are in a regular pattern of working with us. So even if a client, uh, you know, because they didn't take any actions at the end of 2017. They they may have missed out on um, a a small tax planning opportunity there, depending on their situation. Um, but the next time that we met with them, we're still incorporating, just like any you know any other financial planner, you know, we're still incorporating the changes into our new recommendations with them. And it's things like that that are exactly why again I, I encourage our clients to uh, be in a consistent relationship because things do change yeah that, that makes a lot of sense so you're really just doing you know your clients a courtesy to say hey like here's a summary of what happened and it's you know if you feel concerned about it then you can come and pay us exactly again it just helps you provide what they exactly need not trying to give them something they don't so uh, just shifting gears a little more obviously you know the firm there's a team of advisors there so from the advisor standpoint how does it work if say i'm working on someone else's case because you bill hourly so i would assume <laughs> that 
the hours you build to a case you're compensated for in salary or however that works. So what does that look like? Just to give listeners a little insight there. Sure, that's that's a great question, and uh, and and you're exactly right. We we are compensated for working on um, other advisors' clients. I mean, all of the clients we we when we're uh, bringing them on, we talk to them about how we work as a team. Um, and that's one of the things that we value a lot and we think is one of the reasons why we're able to serve clients well and and even to keep growing to be able to serve new clients. Um, but we want to be working on each other's clients. We want to be strategizing together um, so that any client isn't just getting, you know, my my expertise with my years of experience, but um, the collective expertise of our team and um, the collective experiences of our team. And so that's actually something that is is pretty, um, I'm going to say uncommon uh, amongst hourly planners. Just most hourly planning firms tend to be smaller in terms of number of staff. Um, and we have um, nine, nine staff people today um, seven of us work directly with clients um, as, in some cases, as primary advisors. And um, so when we are doing that work, I might take on a, um, a level three client, um, but Michael Thrasher, who's one of the, one of the partners of the firm um, and um, is the lead advisor on, on a lot of clients himself, we might take some time and strategize together or Michael is a CPA as well. Um, and so we we use a, a pretty sophisticated tax planning software when we're working out some specific problems. But there's a lot of times when I want to bounce ideas off of him um, and vice versa. Um, we all have different uh, kind of, I'm going to say niche areas of, of expertise, but a lot of it has just come down to the types of clients we've served. And uh, I I have a lot of experience with uh, certain pension plans in our firm, just because, again, of the clients that have come in. So we, we're, we're going to each other um, to get feedback and make sure that we are providing our clients with the best set of advice from our team, not just from one person. So there's usually, when we're going through the initial planning process, there's usually um, at least three people who have done some work on the plan. Um, and then for ongoing work, we uh, there are often other people involved at different points of the process. And those people, um, they are on our side for how we are tracking our time. They are putting in, uh, they are billing hours on my client when they're working on that client. Um, but they're still getting, quote, credit for that on their end. Um, and the reason this works so well is because we have, I mean, we've designed it to work in this team environment. So I also bill hours on other people's clients. Um, we're, you know, we want our work to be spread around in that way so that we're familiar with each other's clients, um, that, that again, the clients are getting that, that best collective set of advice. Um, and it incentivizes us to just be able to uh, serve the clients of the firm and and serve our team members too, uh, because we're compensated, or rather, we are getting you know credit for those hours in that way. Um, it's not a we each have we have goals related to the hours that we bill in a year, um, and so we're certainly striving to meet those goals. But um, I think working in this way removes a lot of the. Um, potential for competition, I guess, just amongst the firm. 
Um, and we've been at a really fortunate place to have plenty of work to go around. Um, we're really thankful. And there are a lot of people who are seeking out hourly financial planning advice. Uh, more and more people are coming to us by simply Googling that or, or you know, looking up something like that, um, like hourly financial planning advice and, and finding our firm and, and reading our website and, and being interested in what we provide. Um, and so we, um, yeah, we, we want to continue to be able to, to do that, to serve more and more clients that way and to do so in a, in a team environment. My final question is, you know, surrounding the team concept, are you all delegating or spreading out some of the common tasks like performing research on investments, performing, you know, research into the assumptions that are going into the financial plan? Are you delegating common tasks like that to specific members of the team or just shared based on your expertise? That's a good question, too. Um, So it is we so right now we have uh, four partners in the firm and they they take on a number of responsibilities that um, are, you know, that are sort of firm level decisions that need to be made in the realm of uh, financial planning and how we're going to be serving clients that way. Um, we do also have an investment committee. Um, I am on the investment committee. There are um, three other members of the investment committee and um, our job is to work on um again, kind of building the portfolio targets for our firm to recommend to clients. Um, and you know that's not an overhaul every single year, but uh, doing our due diligence on the funds that we are recommending um, or the um, ETFs that we're recommending and seeing if there are other better options that are out there. We use a different, um, you know, we use a portfolio analysis tool that is a help to us in that. Um, we also use some other outside research that we um, subscribe to, to again, assist us in that work. Um, but that, you, you know, that's an example of a non-billable responsibility um, that is kind of split among different members of the team. And even, even those of us that are not um, owners at the firm, we are all seeking to contribute to the good of, of the team and the work of serving our clients in some way that is going to be a, a non-billable capacity. Um, because there is, there are other responsibilities to, to go around. Um, but it, but we do try to, uh, you know, it's not, not every individual needs to go out and, you know, do that research. Um, we want to limit that to a small group of people. <laughs> And then I would assume that the findings of whatever project you're working on, let's just say the investment committee, that's communicated to clients in a similar manner where, hey, like we had these findings and this is what you need to know. Contact us if necessary. Exactly. You're exactly right. And and on the financial planning side, it, it's very uh, on the, you know, on, on the kind of uh, long term projection side, I should say it's very similar. If we're making a change to, you know, there are sometimes reasons to not use what would be our standard default assumption in some area, but um, we want to be using on the whole a consistent set of assumptions um, when we're, you know, building financial planning projections so that we're able to communicate in very similar ways to our clients. Um, Because of course, there's different, you know, different individual personalities and things like that on our team. But one of our goals is for every client that comes into our firm to receive 
very consistent advice, um, regardless of who their primary advisor is. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Kara. We really enjoyed hearing more about this hourly model at Timothy Financial. I would highly encourage any listeners to go check out their website and just see what they've built out. It's really fascinating. But thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.